Welcome back to Fantastic Voyage, a David Bowie podcast. I'm Jesse. And I am John. And we were just talking about the Chris O'Leary blog turned into a book. And uh, (laughs) you've got both of them. You've got your mic propped up on... Yeah, we on the to, two of them we have to get my mic a little closer to my face so and i, I donated the i donated part one at, when we were done with i guess i think it ends before berlin and it was just saying like i'm done with this yeah, you're, like, not, you're not gonna do another two-year binge and <laughs> dissect it in and out like no. you did the last couple of years no luckily it is on the internet too it is yeah it's called the pushing ahead of the dame blog the, the we, queen bitch the lyric Oh, that's where it's from. I I kind of I, I always remember and then I forget where it's yeah. from. It is nice having the books too, because there is some kind of like like I usually would just do it in the order of the album track listing, because that's how we do it, right? But he's got some kind of like a linear story, and the songs are in a little bit more of like a random order, maybe not random, like but there's a rhyme or reason to the order he's right. doing it, and it kind of is more like a chapter or a story. I was reading it because we were at a Haley and I were at Thermia mm, yesterday. Yeah which is like a spa place that we have here in certain Canadian cities. I think it only might, it might just be us in some places in Ontario. But anyway, we were, we were at a spa to make a long story short. And I was reading like the earthling chapter and it was kind of cool. It was like done in more, it was like very sequential. It wasn't like little wonder in the satellites. It was like telling lies into earthling law on fire. Maybe it's more like the order that the songs were recorded or written or conceived or Something like that, but there's kind of like more of a story when you read it in the book form, and I I do enjoy that quite a bit. Well, yeah, and like we're we're talking about Earthling uh, side A in this episode in particular, um, and that's a perfect example of it because Telling Lies is like an outside track. Yeah, Li- quite. I yeah. think literally it was a an outtake from outside. He's and doing it, it on the outside tour a lot, like those summer festivals in '96. He's introducing Telling Lies. Yeah, I think he, the cover. Of the single, because it was the lead it's single. Outside text. It's got outside yeah, text. Yeah, I remember looking at it, I'm yeah. like, where do I know? Oh yeah, this looks like an outside right. something. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of fun to read it chronologically. I've I've been following, you know what, I haven't been reading it as much as I was in the early days, which is funny because I know more about those <laughs> anyway, those songs yeah. and those albums, than I, than I do the 90s stuff, just naturally, because we grew up on that era. And we kind of came to find the 90s stuff. Like most mo- people. Yeah. It's the most covered period of his career. Like, I, we were just talking about Bowie books. I've got that Bowie Mark Spitz biography. That doesn't go too far into his Do they life. even mention Ball? I don't think... Well, I don't... <laughs> like, I don't like right. they, if they do, I don't remember. Sometimes it's things like... a like, footnote. They get, like, a paragraph, and that's it. I also don't know when that Sp- Spitz book was made. I want to say it was in the 80s, though, probably. Oh, okay. So this stuff's not even covered, no. but... It, it is a less covered period. It's We've mentioned it several times. It's kind of why we're doing the show, right. is to talk more about these tracks. Shed more light on the earthling out type albums yeah released in uh february with two we're february 1st we're recording this so february 3rd 1997 i'll try to time that i still have to record the outro come out on the uh come out on the the anniversary let's do some quick math that'll be 28 years no 27 years wait yeah yeah Uh, 27 uh, yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) oh math isn't my strong suit um should be easy for me because I'm born in '95, so I just need minus ah, two. your first contemporary. Oh wait, no. Outside, outside was. When did outside come out in '95? I don't think it was before July. I think it was a later in the year. I yeah. think, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So Earthling, it was recorded. Well, 
in I think one song was done quite early. I'm not sure exactly when Telling Lies was done, but that was that was early. But it was for the most part I think recorded late summer to it just says October. It was finished in '96 uh, in Monroe and also at Looking Glass in uh, in New York. Philip Glass's studio, and I think he was ju- he had recently done his like symphony versions of the some of those berlin albums did he no, did like yeah, low yeah. and heroes right. i think he did those albums like front to back i haven't heard that in a long time i don't think i've ever heard the philip glass uh, I, I feel like i youtubed it like when bowie died or something like trying to just absorb it as much as i could or did i listen to that when no plan came out and i was just on you know the rejuvenated bowie kick mm-hmm. and anyway i can't remember so the the album well, in the UK, went up to number six, uh, 21 in Canada, and 39 in the US. So, yeah. It's always a bit higher here than in the US. Funny how that, yeah. That's why you called that. it I'm Afraid of Americans, not right. North Americans or Canadians. He's not afraid of Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, mostly positive critical reviews at the time. I, I read somewhere where, like, the reviews didn't get better as time went on maybe I, oh that's a diff- different yeah different I, for bowie I, yeah i thought that was really strange um I, I think i'm quoting wikipedia though so i'm not sure where that drew from well i i do think from what i've gathered like this album if someone was going to be like critical of it they'd say this is like the old like the steve buscemi gif you know like hey fellow kids y- yeah. look at me like people kind of look at it like that because it's an old man doing the new hip thing in the uk at least anyway which was jungle because it's not that hip i i think that's more that's a uk thing right yeah that wasn't that because there's that earthling at 50 documentary and there's an interviewer asking people on the streets of new york what do you think of bowie doing jungle what do you think of bowie doing jungle and they're like what is jungle help me out here <laughs> right because like i didn't really even know what jungle was either i guess it's like well drum and, techno and I drum and bass drum and bass or house or something might be it's like a I, mix of I, some I, of those genres right i i think it's it's a bit different me I, I you know i can't stand the genre labels like you know well, what's the difference between post punk and new wave like i don't know like, well, and, and like this album isn't really all Com- drum and bass, right? right? Like this is his foray no, there's into a drum few, and bass. Yeah, there are a few that are less I, than half the album, though. Yeah, right? that's right. So, yeah, and I also just hate the idea too that he was like this. Okay, here's Bowie. He's the old man, and he's trying to fit in, and it kind of comes off like he's a plagiarist almost. So people have been calling him that his whole career, and he even kind of calls himself that. But I, I don't like that in a negative connotation because. I think what an artist is at the end of the day is it's somebody showing you their take on life. Yeah. And so I'm always yeah. curious where they're getting their ideas and like well, wh- you, where are you getting your all your stuff from, right? If, if you draw the sun, are you a plagiarist of the first person who painted the sun? <laughs> like, right? So and like, where in, do you draw that line where it becomes an interpretation versus a, oh, I'm ripping something? And and here's another thing too, like everybody that made a rock album is ripping somebody off. Yeah, it's all, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I kind of push back on the idea that he's the old man trying to fit into and that it's like that's an inherently bad thing that the old guy's doing the new thing because I think that's something that's uniquely great about Bowie. And I also think artists should always keep pushing forward and they shouldn't just give up. Like, you know, in that Earthling at 50 documentary, he goes on this whole spiel about loving life and how loving life is what fuels his art and that loving life is his engine and that in order to enjoy life you need to consume only things that you personally like or things that you find interesting and i think that is something that shows up 
in his music, especially since he cares so much about communication and speaking the new language and making sure he's hip to the new medium of communication. Like he calls jungle is like, this is the new language. And I think that's why we like him so much. He, his whole take on life, like he is on the nexus of something when it comes to life or how to live a good one. Because as you get older and Bowie at 50 was getting older, like existential thoughts, they'll, they can keep you up at night, right? Like, I think that happens yeah. to me more and more. And so maybe David Bowie isn't the guru who has, like, all the answers or the meaning of life or anything like that, but he does know how to live a, a happy one. He knows how to live a happy life, and he prioritized communicating that to us by taking bits and pieces of things that he found interesting. And so that's why I don't flip out when someone's borrowing from their influences too much. It's because... That's what made him so great. That's what makes any artist great. They're all taking bits and pieces of their life, things they've learned, and showing it to us. So I appreciate this album a lot and his work a lot. And just to speak to what you were saying on him continuing on with his career and continuing to push forward with what is is hip to the kids, maybe, you know, for whatever you want to call it. Um, first of all, he's, he's quite self-aware of it. Uh, on because you're young in in 1980, he knew that he's kind of passing the torch to the new romantics, and or maybe they weren't quite there yet. But yeah, he he wasn't uh, in his early 20s anymore, and he was still you know he was he's self aware of that, and it, it shows up here again with Dead Man Walking, mm -hmm. uh, even on another track I think too. Um, Battle for Britain could be kind of interpreted as that is it the new guard of British music taking. You know, is it versus him? They're kind of maybe wrestling mm -hmm. with it a little bit. Um, but also just the things that, like, he did stay not only hip to to the styles, but also just, like, the way that the world was moving forward. We we all know about his, I don't know what you want to call it, just his, his awareness of what the internet was or what the potential of it could be. And with this album, I think he was the first artist to ever release music digitally for download. Ours was released as a, album right, yeah. but he released telling lies as a you could buy it online they updated the sit like every day or something there was a new mix or something i think it was every week or every yeah week. yeah we're yeah. talking about yeah we're getting right into telling lies which is on the second <laughs> <laughs> well you know we'll we'll touch more on it later but it was the first ever digital download and you know i don't think a new a, a kid or, or a bunch of kids or a band could could do that because you you know Bowie Net was a thing because he had a following because he was a major artist from who had decades of work and and of fans that have built up to to join Bowie Net and to mm -hmm. care enough to do this to have the money to pay for it. I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't have the money to go on Bowie Net and buy something, right? It, yeah. Like, or, or not Bowie Net, but I didn't have the money to go on like Nirvana Net, you know, and buy whatever was hip at the time. Uh, I don't know what was ninety seven. What was new? Like Hanson, like yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, but yeah. In other words, That's I think club party. <laughs> yeah, these these artists continuing on. It's I think it's great. I, I think it it gives it gives me hope as I am in my mid thirties and. Well, yeah, like, well, no, like, just get yeah, things just living. get better. Yeah, stop just trying to do things. Stop, stop trying being to make creative. a statement on life. You should actually do it more than right. ever at this point. Exactly. You've learned yeah. more, and I you know. Like I said, those existential thoughts. You start to this album. Maybe we'll save this for when we get into some into some of the tracks because I think a lot of these tracks deal with existentialism and being old. I think it comes out a lot. But I'm really fortunate 
that Bowie is all the more wiser and he's talking to us now because I can appreciate that as someone who's getting older and I think I get wiser as I get older. I would rather hear from you now than when you're fucked up in 1976 and on cocaine. I'd rather hear what he has to say now. And something else I wanted to touch on too, you you, you mentioned the new romantics, right? Yeah. They're influenced by David Bowie. Yeah. They're not influenced by the things that influenced David Bowie. Right. It took David Bowie doing what he did, building all of his, you know, his collection of influences and putting his take on them out there. That spawned a whole new thing. It's like how Dylan says when when Dylan did his uh, Great American Songbook trilogy, or I can call it the uh, Sextet because trip or quintet because triplicate ended up being three albums yeah yeah when he did all those covers they he said i'm not covering them i'm uncovering them yeah yeah you know and it's like yeah you're showing those songs to well i don't know how many kids are listening to you know 21st century dylan albums but i I wish more were but Uh, yeah i mean i am for one (laughs) yeah and and there were there were songs on there that i that i hadn't heard that uh yeah were they were great, and I didn't know them. I, I don't listen to Sinatra, you know. Like, well, there's aside some classics from... like Autumn Leaves, the good old jazz number. Oh right yeah, there. like some of those ones for sure. But like it's it's the deeper cuts and the mm-hmm. the out, and that's where Bowie comes in, where like no one's listening to the space or the Stardust Cowboy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or no one, no, yeah. We're, it, it we're digressing him, here. It, it took him taking <laughs> the legendary Stardust Cowboy and blending it with, uh, you know, Lou Reed and. John Lennon, not Paul McCartney, as he says in the Earthless documentary. Yeah, oh, that's so and, good. You know, it took him taking some, you know, some of them were more popular ones that we're familiar with, but some of them weren't. It, it, they were always the more outsider-y guy, the Sid Barrett's of the world and whatnot, right? Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, like I was saying, it's okay. Sure, he's just taking a bunch of influences, and maybe it's not all original, but then, like he said, then nothing's original. And But then original things come out of it, like the new romantics, like I said, they wouldn't have existed with just the Beatles, they needed David Bowie to take some of that and mix it with other things. Yeah. And that's how things keep progressing. It's always going to be a mix of influences. So, yeah, I always push back on that. And I definitely push back on the idea that, oh, you're 50. Stop trying to make, stop trying to be cool or stop trying to make a statement on life. It's just, that's just crazy to me. Yeah. All right. So most of the usual suspects of the 90s are on this um album we've got bowie we've got reeves we've got mark platty who's on now doing an engineer at the philip glass studio right that's how he gets in the mix i believe okay i don't know yeah i think that's how he we'll we'll go with it and and him and and (laughs) reeves in particular kind of kicked off because they they bowie they they would do something then bowie would write lyrics kind of to what they were doing was kind of the formula for at least a lot of the songs they yeah they're responsible for a a lot of because they get songwriting credits right yeah like on i'm not sure that which songs in particular, but all of them or I, most of them or something I, like that? Definitely the, the drum and bass-esque ones. <laughs> Esque. The drum and bass ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, who else is back? Uh, Gail Ann Dorsey is, is on the album now. Mm-hmm. So toured last, uh, the outside tour, and is now on some of the studio recordings. Uh, Zach Alford on drums. Uh, the drums are a focal point of this. A lot of them are sped up and... There are acoustic drums we'll on this album, though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, and uh, friend of the pod, Mike Garson, is on keys. Uh, you know, I'll, a, a note on on Mike on this album. 
this is the one where I think he fits best because he shouldn't fit best on it. I was going to say, he should, in theory, he shouldn't. Like, outside, of course. And the, the songs that he's on in the earlier 90s just make sense because of the kind of jazzy, kind of just the vibe of those uh, of those songs. And it's just this one, there's one song in particular where uh, it's on Battle for Britain where during his solo, like, Reeves isn't, backing off and they're just doing it but it just you know it's it's uh it shouldn't be there but the fact that it is is so perfect it's it's very in you know it's in the spirit it's it's awesome um and it's part of bowie's spin on these new sounds well yeah that yeah exactly he's not just doing it again he's not just do he's not copying he's he's his interpretation because it's not all german based some of it's uh, what's that album that you really like it's the underground something black and white cover oh underworld Underworld, yeah Yeah, dub no bass with my head man i think uh so reeves gabrels was an underworld fan and he he said that he was like going to to clubs like doing ecstasy and like <laughs> yeah, listening yeah. and like trying to like figure out this the sound and there was oh who is the group or is it an artist that bowie was into at the time prodigy i think yeah 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 there, there's that one song in particular that's like i think little wonder owes a lot to or something right like that. yeah and, and i'm not well versed in that like even underworld i'm not super into there's just someone recommended that album to me and i fell in love with it bought it and i haven't really explored this type of music aside from John Frusciante has an album called Maya that kind of reminds me of this. It's, it's very jungle. Um, and I, I spiritual maybe too. My title, like Maya. no, even, uh... no, I don't think this one's, I, I think, I, I think I read it as like the name of his cat or something. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Not that deep. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what else? Uh, oh yeah. I, I made a quick note about, just to kind of talk about this, and I haven't really hashed out what I want to say. I think I appreciate this album more now than ever because of the journey we've taken on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, when you're just kind of the way that I got into the 90s stuff, it was kind of just like all at once because it was like, oh, I'm realizing that everything Bowie did was great. And it was, it was just like, oh, wow. And there's this sound and there's that sound. And I did appreciate the difference in sounds, but it all happened too fast. And the fact that we have been going through this kind of methodically, mm-hmm. it's been, you know, this is our third, almost finishing our third year doing this, this show. So it's kind of like each decade is a year or it takes us a year to get through. So we're kind of going with the natural progression of his career. Yeah. And I think this album sounds so much more fresh for the first time to me. It was just like, oh, another sound before, which I appreciated. But it, this time it's like, oh, like I, I'm craving something different as we're listening to it. Not that he hasn't done that already, but it's just I think I this one in particular just sounds so fresh because of that journey that we're kind of on. Well, and because we've held his career under a microscope or a telescope, whatever you want to call it, we've dissected <laughs> For him, know, a telescope. Ev- everything. We will also connect a little bit, maybe more threads to his past on this. We can maybe even use this as a segue into Little Wonder. Yeah. If you want to drop the needle. Well, we know we're, we're in the digital age. I, oh, I just put the CD tray in. I also think I may have lost the file. <laughs> so I, oh. <laughs> I didn't want to record it again. So I, we're in the, yeah, we're putting in the CD tray. If you're listening to this, you know what the, the first song is. It's Little Wonder. And, and quick, quickly before we get into Little Wonder, uh, in case you're wondering, yes, the David Bowie 50th anniversary uh, show happened a month before the release of this and we briefly 
talked about doing that as an episode, but we thought that fits better in the Earthling tour. Yeah. Because he does all these songs, all but two. There you I go. Believe. Yeah. So, it's so like we're going to talk about the songs and we get to it. Earthling kicks off and... the Earthling tour, yeah. you know, even though the album wasn't out yet. So we will touch on that uh, in probably great detail. That's going to make up the most of the most of that mm-hmm. episode, I think. Um, yeah. Let's get let's get to Little Wonder. So you the, had the, a thought. The Cockney accent, you know. Yeah. This yeah. is you know, is, and it's maybe even my least favorite part of the song. But mm-hmm. you know, he's reaching back to '67, and even with the whole the the lyrics are kind of nonsensical but they they reference the seven dwarves which is kind of reaching back to those like laughing gnome yeah. sensibilities right it's it's silly yeah so it's you know it's kind of taking some of that silliness of the 67 dirham stuff and what's 30 years later right yeah yeah god that means he was 20 when he was doing that right yeah yeah. He's 50 now, yeah. So 40, he's, he's reaching back, yeah. which is kind of interesting. He reaches back to the Superman lick in a song later that we'll get into too. But it is interesting to see that too. Like Bowie's not just, you know, he's listening to some of these newer artists, but he's still applying pieces of himself from the past onto this. Well, and the the chord progression of this song is, it's kind of doo-wop-y. It's like a... It's well, a, you would never know it unless you read it and then, oh, right, it it's is. A, I think it's one, six, four, five might be the five might not be there it's 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 very like yeah it's it's 50s um and it's kind of prominent too which is interesting i wonder if maybe with all of the crazy samples and stuff that are that are on it and the crazy noises when it came time to to structure the songs he was going back to basics going hmm you know how can i turn this into a song it's like well let's let's just do you know let's let's do do doo-wop like this and that's cool. That like that you know, like we don't want to hear him do run around Sue as is. We want to hear him do Little Wonder. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I read that a a lot of the time he would write the chords on guitar, so he's probably just yeah, going back to the fifties, mm-hmm. going, Okay, let's do a rock progression and you know, transform these crazy tapes. Or I shouldn't say tapes, because we're in the digital age now. It's his first digital album, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's kind of neat. And I think that becomes kind of a theme with this where it's like, uh, let's get this, you know, how many tracks are on this? I, that's what I want to know. Like, <laughs> I'd love to see, I'd love to have the masters of this and see what we don't hear because there's probably so much. Mm-hmm. And I read that there are parts where Reeves Gabrels would play, like, he would he would play certain things like on different strings, but overdub it to get it to sound full. He'd like get the low end here, the high end there and just, you know, paste it all together just mm-hmm. to get a, like a unique guitar tone, which is really cool. I want to go back to the doo-wop thing because I believe I read somewhere that the last chord was a half step higher than usual okay. on a doo-wop uh, progression. So it's a, it's a raised uh, fifth then. So it would be the songs in, what's the song in? It's in G, I think. G... E minor, no, so, I forget what it's in. Anyway, yeah. Well, and just point being that that's yeah. the Bowie quirk. That's what makes it a Bowie song. That's what makes it not a typical drum and bass song. That's what makes it not uh, a typical doo up song. It's you know Bowie's adding his flair as per usual as he usually does to keep things you know keep you on your heels a little bit more. Right. So it's in it's yeah it's in G. So it's G D A minor C instead of C. Or instead of yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I also 
another interesting tidbit I saw when I was reading about this song was that uh, the vocal for this track was, well, not even the first take. It was the vocal guide. You know, when you're like just going through the motions. Oh, yeah. And he didn't do a proper take after. Yeah. And so what I like about that is I think it gives the track like maybe, and this is with hindsight, granted, you know, in in working in my favor, because I maybe didn't think this before I heard it or before I read that, but with hindsight now, and knowing that that's how this track was cut, I kind of can maybe listen to the vocal and think that it has, like, it gives the track, like, kind of this robotic quality, right? Because when you're singing as something to just guide the track and to present the musicians, like, a cue, right? Like, that's kind of what I think a vocal guide is, right? It's just, like, it's it's your cue. And so when you're singing as just to go through the motions, you're not putting any emotion in it, you or as much emotion as you would an official take, you can maybe come off as like a bit uninspired, right? Mm-hmm. Or like I said, emotionless, um, which on the surface can sound a bit dull, but I think it, it can makes add a, a, song. It yeah, can add it a, could. a yeah. certain flavor to a track. It can kind of be recontextualized. So I think that's, that's very interesting. I think that he does kind of sound a little robotic, right? It doesn't sound like he's pouring his heart into the lyric like he maybe does on, Seven years in Tibet, right? Where right. he's going, I praise to you. He's just, little wonder, yeah, na, na, na. he's just, and I think that adds a, a really cool flavor to the track. Well, and I always wondered too, I don't know too much about it, but I do know that uh, the filler Beatles quota, um, nobody told me this, the, the Lennon song was supposed to be a Ringo, a Ringo song, song yeah. but this version exists and it was released posthumously. And I, I've always wondered if that, because the vocal just sounds, it sounds like he's really overpronouncing things and he's trying to maybe show Ringo what, what yeah you know, and it's, and therefore that vocal has always stuck out in my head as different because it sounds like it could be a, a vocal guide track as opposed yeah. to, I'm going to try to nail this right now. Um, yeah. So that's kind of neat. Well, whenever I hear vocal guide too, I imagine that I think of the Beatles also, but I think of year blues because mm. that's, you know, at the end of the song, you can hear those faint vocals in the background. Well, that's because the take they use for the instruments had, he was singing like yeah. in the background as of, as a guide. Right. And then it bleeds into the, the mics and it gets picked up. That's what you hear him singing at yeah. the end of the track. That's great. He's yeah. not singing quieter. He was doing that the whole... Th- you can actually kind of hear his voice yeah. in the background you can. during the actual yeah. singing parts if you listen close enough. It is, it's, it's like an effect. It, 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 yeah. it serves as an effect, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's a lot going on in this song, isn't there? Um, there's some, some interesting samples on, on this track. Um, so, well, one is... Uh, so, the drums... There's a drum sample from... And I just learned about this while kind of looking this up. It's the most popular drum sample it's, it's ever. It's called the yeah. the Amen Break. Yeah, and it's uh, it's the, like the most commonly sampled drum loop. Uh, I didn't actually see a full list. I did see a, a brief list of songs, and Straight Outta Compton was one of them where it's used. Yeah, that was just that was the first one that comes to me. It, it's it, from it, 1969. The Winstons of Amen Brother is the name mm-hmm. of the song, which is kind of cool that he's using it here. Yeah. Um, and something else that I thought was really neat that they. There, I'm, and again, I just learned this now. Um, there's a Steely Dan live album where his roadie says something like, uh, "If it's good, it must be good," or something. Yeah, like, he was drunk. Yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah, he was drunk. Yeah, and that that I don't know. Like, drunk Steely Dan roadie made it on. It's somewhere in here. I don't think I can remember hearing it. Like, who's grabbing this stuff to put on their single? Yeah. Bowie is. That's who. <laughs> so yeah, the, great. The 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 Amen Breaker the. 
yeah. Brig or whatever. I can't. I just. It's the most popular sample ever. It's still getting used today. Like, I I know uh, JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown had this great album last year called "Scaring the Hose" is the name of the album. They had a song called Jack Harlow Combo Meal, and it was used on that. Mm. And Tyler, the creator, used it on a song called Pigs, where it's a lot slower. Okay, yeah. Um, it's kind of slowed down. And Eric B. and Rakim, Rakim use it on a song. Okay, it's, but it's, it is, it's been used, like, literally thousands of times. And the thing that sucks is that apparently, like, the, the drummer on it, it who, who, it's the Winstons, the, the Winston Brothers or something like that. I can't yeah. remember the name of the group, but... So typical of the music industry. Apparently, the drummer like died homeless, oh. you know, or something like something like that. And it's just like so typical of the music industry to allow something like that to happen. Where like, right. okay, you create and then perform this iconic thing that was being used in samples in the '80s, like '87 on Straight Outta Compton, '97 on Bowie's album, in 2023 on a JPEG Mafia album, and in the 2010s on a Tyler the Creator album, and and for you to just uh, oh, it doesn't belong to you though. Yeah, you know because 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 you I, signed because you signed a piece because of paper. you signed a yeah. piece of paper. What you needed to do to in order to be an artist yeah. as for a living, it's just uh, you know the 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 corporate America copyright law needs a lot of assessment. I'm, a, I'm afraid of Americans, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's just a horrible story, which sucks because it's like I said, it's the most it's the most sampled song I think in the history of the world. Yeah, and the, the guy that did crazy. the actual drum break like didn't see anything off of it. Very typical, unfortunately. But what can you do? And it's used in Little Wonder, which went to number fourteen in the UK and did not uh, did not chart elsewhere. Second single of the album. I always thought that this was the lead single uh, until a couple year like you know. I it for, seems lead single because it's the first one. It's a it's got the video yeah. and it's got I don't know. Yeah. It kind of seems like the marquee song for hit. some reason. Yeah, like I, it's not my favorite track on the album. I, I don't think no. it's bad, but no. it does seem like the most like iconic song of the. I guess maybe Americans, mm, but yeah, and that just because it gets recontextualized because of look what's happening today, yeah. and for so many reasons. <laughs> but I, I think Little Wonder just seems like the most. Because it's more drum and bass, too. Because that was the newest thing Bowie was into, and it's the new Bowie thing. It does kind of come off as, like, the marquee track on the album, maybe. But, yeah, not not my favorite. But definitely not, like, my least favorite, either. Right. It's it's a solid song. Um, the next one's the, better. The co- Well, fuck, yeah. So, Looking for Satellites is, like, when I started getting into later period Bowie, this was the one that stuck out to me where I was like, holy fucking shit. Like, this is... <laughs> easily my favorite song on the album and it's my it's in my top 10 for david bowie songs. cool it's gonna be like i don't know where it's gonna be when we do our list but it's gonna be right there at the top fucking love this song like the the total list top yeah 10. Yeah, yeah not cool. just 90s not yeah. this album not like this is I, I i love this song so so much it's a shower song for me because of shampoo, shampoo. <laughs> yeah for like when i whenever i got this album on i when i go in the shower I grab the shampoo and I start just kind of singing the chant section mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> what else does he say? Shampoo. I don't even know. Boys zone, which apparently I, I don't say it right when I sing it. I just make up words and like different things, like shampoo. You know, the uh, loofah, well, <laughs> soap <think>, bar. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think this it kind of it gets t- almost tied into the theme of like I'm afraid of Americans. It's like commercialism TV things is being one shoved of them. Yeah. In, in your face right. and, but and then so all those 
those words maybe aren't that important. Shampoo, TV, you can replace it with anything that's kind of has to do with, Mm -hmm. you know, being sold something or advertisements or whatever. And then it kind of just gets to, well, where do we go from here? Right. It's like, okay, you have all these things, but now what? You know, it's it almost kind of it's dealing with like yeah, well, yeah. existentialism again. You yeah. get these random set of words that have no rhyme or reason necessarily, but then it then it transitions into a more logical section of the song. Where do we go from here? What are we to do with these words? What are we to make of what we know? Yeah, right. It's kind of you can draw ties with that in the last track. I don't want uh, knowledge. I want certainty. Or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like what what are we supposed to do with all this information? It's just well, and me, like, it's the constant search for. The constant struggle for a meaning, and right? it, it it ble like t- Tibet falls into this too. We'll we'll touch on that when we get to seven years in Tibet. But mm-hmm. I have a yeah, I, ha- I have something to speak to to that too. Um, but yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah, it's you're looking for something bigger. You because you're always trying to fill some kind of a void that shouldn't be filled. It'll always be there. Whenever yeah. you, like, how many times have you been like, oh, once I just get this, I'll be set. It's like no, then you'll find the next thing. And you're always yeah. searching for, and, and at this point now you're searching for a, another planet, mm-hmm. another like cause, because whatever Earth can give you isn't enough because you've, even though it is, you know, like like you don't need anything. You should have enough just by being, right? Just by breathing and just by, you know, yeah, just by breathing. You you therefore should have enough. If, you know, assuming you have food and everything like that. But like, I guess what I'm saying, it's commercialism, right? And it's, it's this constant need, especially in Western society, to acquire shit and then yep. think that it's, it becomes your identity, right? And you become tied, attached to like the things that you own and it becomes like, you know, yeah, it, it's the constant need to fill a void that will never be filled yep. no matter how hard you try. Because it's, it's not healthy. Like you're supposed to have the void and you have to live with the void and you have to like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm digressing into personal philosophy now but, <laughs> but that you know this album will make you do that more than anything That's yeah all oh, i yeah. could all i could well, think about when i was what am i going to say about this album it was all these right ideas. and it's and it's but yeah and like this is major tom in 1997 right it's it's the loneliness it's that yeah. feeling of like i can't fill this void it's like well you're, you're looking you're, you're maybe like the you're attempting to do something that you shouldn't be attempting to do you know uh yeah when it, and he, I think, said that, uh, like Bowie said, that he be- believed in extraterrestrial life. He believes in life on Mars, right. for example. And, you know, it came out in his writing a lot due to his disconnect with society, which mm. is what a lot of this album's about, and I'm afraid of Americans and all of that. And I think he had, like, this yearning for a spiritual or religious connection. And so, you know, with that in mind, that's kind of how I look at this song. Like, this yeah. song is just looking for spiritual meaning not maybe ignoring the commercial side of things right and i yeah. think you know in in, the, in that search for more of a spiritual meaning you kind of become more appreciative of what like what you were saying what you have you live you breathe you appreciate the things you have that make you happy and i think that this is bowie i think he even said it in one of the books i was reading he this is like maybe his most spiritual song and you know as i've gotten older i've started thinking in spiritual terms a lot and I, this is why I'm glad to have albums like this by David Bowie at age 50 with his kind of spiritual wisdom because I'm kind of looking for those types of connections in right. music more. Yeah. And Satellites, once again, is the... Med- it's it's 
looking for satellites. It's like that alien thing once again, but it's it's more of a metaphor. You know? Of course it is. Yeah. Well, it's it, to me it just it signifies you're looking for something beyond what is realistic or or something that like you've have conquered this now i need i just need to fill that void with something that i can't even fathom yet and like the satellite is where i'm going to start looking kind of like the stratosphere I, I need to try something bigger because all of this the american dream has is is a farce and everything that was supposed to make me happy isn't right so i've got to look elsewhere for more I mean, it's like you're gonna look, lose all those things. Well, you die exactly. If you, yeah, if you win the rat race. You're still the same as everyone. Right. You're still dead. Well, when <laughs> you you come into this world with nothing, you leave it with nothing, and um, yeah, it's look at all the billionaires on the planet. Where do they look to? They go to space. Elon Musk is going to Mars. Jeff Bezos is sending rockets into space. It's like the, like they're so bored with this planet that it's like, oh, I'm looking for satellites. There's now, right? something yeah. in the sky, shining right. in the lights, exactly. spinning yeah. far away. And I think Bowie too. He was always saying that, like you know, it, in order to uh, understand God, we have to like kill him and reinvent him. Oh you yeah. Know, like, well, we're, we're yeah. I mean, that's that's religion, right? Religion is is a take on some kind of spiritual energy for I I don't know like whatever people believe in. I I don't know what. I don't believe in, in God, but I believe in some kind of, I, I believe in something that we can't comprehend. There's something beyond our comprehension. And I think I've stopped trying to comprehend it, knowing that my brain doesn't have the ability to do that. So I'm like, almost like you could say agnostic towards some kind of energy form as opposed, you know, like it's, it, yeah, I think. Well, that ties into this album too. When we get to the album artwork, we talk about that, uh, that picture with his fingerprint and that kind of electric lens. You know what I'm talking about on the album? Mm, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's get to the song, too. The actual, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, actual the, the music, music is great. That, yeah. um, so let's just get to Reeves, uh, because <laughs> yeah, the, I'm, if you're, this is the, okay, what does Reeves Gabrels do? This is what he does. Um, and he was really kind of like put, backed into a corner. Bowie said, you got to play this on one string. Uh, I think he allowed him to switch strings as the chord changed, mm -hmm. which, oh, thanks, David. But you have to play constant 16th notes. So imagine, like, your typical... Okay, now i got to figure this out. Your typical uh, measure or bar would have, like, a, like a four count, but you've got to divide... you got to play f that four times, like 16 notes. So 16, like, plucks of a string, mm -hmm. I guess you would say, in a short amount of... Like, you got to keep playing, essentially. So, like, yeah, you could play a solo on one string by letting it ring out, but he's got to keep either bending or or moving or, or playing a, another note constantly, essentially. Mm -hmm. And it just sounds so cool. And then at the end, it becomes very Reeves. It's like, So it's the quintessential Reeves song. It's something hard to do and crazy and, you know, very experimental. And then crazy whammy noises, which defines his sound, in my yeah. opinion. Well, that doesn't define well, his sound, but it's it's a trademark, I guess you could say. Well, and what's beautiful about it is it's kind of like a chaotic solo also, right? Like, I believe he, okay, you have to stay on this string, but then I, I think I read, too, that he would, like... Because he was kind of, like, rebelling. He didn't want to do it. Right. So he would, like, stay on 
one of the strings like longer than he was supposed to and next thing you know it's just this like angry he's fighting with the guitar he's fighting with Bo he's fighting with the whole idea of even doing a solo and he wound up saying that it was like his most favorite one of his most favorite solos he ever did it's certainly a a highlight of the album I'm glad he likes it because it's great (laughs) it's it's kind of like Jack White says he likes to play shitty instruments because he likes to fight with the instrument (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's fighting with his rules like, with Reeves, I think we look at him like, okay, he's like, if you like Adrian Bellew, you'll like Reeves because they play crazy, loud, noisy, mm-hmm. fucked up shit. But I think what's what this track highlights is that that can exist onto so, on something that's as somber as looking for satellites. Yeah, it's... Because this isn't like... You know, uh, this is one you can play in the morning. Yeah, it's not a heavy hitter. It's not like uh, what's the big loud song from our the last album we did, uh, the K, uh, Space Boy. You know, it's right. not like Space Boy or or the next song. Something Battle where you'd think, yeah. oh, of course Reeves works on this. It's loud and noisy and chaotic. This song is beautiful, yeah. and yet it's still his playing still found a way to exist in that world, and it's like the best maybe his best thing he ever did at least i think it is because i love the song so much but and i i do i do think this is one of like you know me i i tend to like the more beautiful type songs you know i like win is my favorite song off young america another track two actually kind of interesting a slower track mm, two yeah. type of song and you moss know garden of course and yeah moss another perfect example the motel yeah you know those, yeah. those are my favorite types of songs and this song is just so so just beautiful. Like my favorite part, I think it's a chord change to like G or something when it goes to satellite. Yeah. That part of the song is just like holy shit. Like I like it, how it, and then it, and then it changes kind of quick again after that, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah, no, that's it. The, yeah, it's it's beautifully constructed. Um, and apparently it was done. Reeves was trying to fly somewhere, and there was a crash at the airport, and he said he had a MacBook, so he's just like us right now recording. <laughs> he was kind of fooling around constructing this song while looking out the window at like this uh, blaze, the wow. plane. Yeah, so we wouldn't have had that if that plane, hopefully, I don't know what happened, hopefully nobody was hurt, but that's where he well, if you, anyone died on the plane, this they're, together. they're martyrs. Yeah, they they're martyred, really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great, great tune. Um, I, I don't think I like it as much as you, but I really like this song. Yeah, it's um, one that it's, I, it's, it's kind of it's one of those my, personal favorites. This yeah. will be one of those ones where like I like it way more than you or yeah. anyone. I, for yeah, that I, matter. I, I, like there, there, there'll be some of us that think it's top ten, but we're definitely not like you know. This is one of those ones where it's like a, a definitely a personal yeah. favorite. No, it's it's great. I think Mike Garson said he thought it should be a single, and he said he wasn't even on it, and he's still you know he's not Mister Ego. He went. He I think he told him because there was like five singles on this album and like there's nine songs <laughs> yeah why wasn't this one of them i mean yeah it's got kind of the ingredients for it maybe not the energy that a single made but i mean not all that singles have energy so yeah yeah I and i think you get it in different places or in different ways too yeah you know, i think this could have been a single over uh i don't know what else was a single? Telling lies. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Well, that, yeah, that was earlier, but... And it kind of had to be the yeah. single, and it highlighted more of it, because this is more of a typical David Bowie song. Yeah. This doesn't sound... It's not yeah, drum this and bass. No. This is straight, this is like... a rock song. Yeah, it's a rock song, and it's still not quite a rock song either, because it's just got these, these Bowie things happening, these Reeves things happening. 
It's funny, though, because, you know, when we talked to Garson, he said he wasn't on the song, but you read all the person... Like, the, the books will say, like, the Chris O'Leary book says he's on this song playing keyboards. I think it's just because this album is so densely packed, so many tracks, so many layers. Or maybe you just assume, or oh, maybe Garson's probably in here Or somewhere. maybe he's buried on it somewhere. I don't, I, well, I can't think of a part that would have been his, though. Like, what... I mean, like, buried, like, completely... So you can't even hear it. Right, yeah. yeah. But he, he did say for what it's worth. He, he, he might have forgotten, but he he, did, he doesn't think he's on this song. Yeah. Um, I'll take it from the horse's mouth, I guess. I can't hear it, and he says he's not on it, so I guess he's not. But, I'm yeah, I'm trying to think, like, what would he... Because this song, like, yeah, this album's dense, but it also has space, too, in a weird way. It's, like, dense and not dense, if that makes sense. It's got, like, a... I think the mood has, has a lot to do with that. It makes it feel like there's space. And because the drums are fast, but they don't, they're not, like, sustained. Like, it's, like, it's, like, very click-clicky, like, yeah. they're fast, right? It's fast, so... But this song isn't fast. This is, like, the slow-tempo song, so once again, imagine that. It's my favorite, but, yeah, it's not even, like, a per- like I said, a personal favorite from the album. I've just... I remember when I discovered the song, I was like, wow. Like, it, it, it kind of blew me away, and it's... You know, we talked about, like, the spiritual meaning behind maybe what he was going at from a lyrical perspective, but then, like, the music, too, is, like, very, very somber and spiritual also. It's, like, you can just put this on and just listen to it for 20 minutes and just float in the sky like you would with a moss garden, right? It's yeah. just a... I don't know. It's it's top-tier stuff, if you ask me. This is a, a fantastic song. My only other note was cut up. I wrote down. Maybe I was... Th- I don't know what I was thinking. I'm probably guessing... Probably from the chorus. Probably from the the uh no the the lyrics the tv that's what i mean oh yeah that's the chorus right i think i think it just goes throughout the whole thing doesn't it kind of or most of it nowhere shampoo tv combat combat boys own which apparently was boys own yeah which is like a it was a magazine that he read in the 60s or something yeah Yeah. and then right but then boys own so it's boys own as in boys own thing like his own item or like boys own right but then apparently boys own is in like zone right boys zone was like a like a boy band or something there at this go. time that bowie didn't even know about <laughs> until they told him hey you're talking about boy zone free went, publicity oh what and it's slim tie showdown can't stop yeah it, it's not to much to read into other than their I don't know, nowhere shampoo tv definitely cut up yeah I would say. I don't think he went... I have to say TV if I say this other... Th- TV's actually maybe the most important one. It, well, if you tie it into... Yeah, the Americans and Tibet and... Yeah. Slim tie could have been Jim Dye well, or... Johnny wears Kim a slim tie in I'm Afraid of Americans. Hey, there you right. go. Right. Of course he wears a slim tie and he's got a you know $200 haircut or whatever. All right. Battle for Britain. The letter... Um, not the box tops, the letter. A little bit different sounding. A little bit different sounding. Um, this one's heavy. <laughs> this one's drum and bass, This or jungle, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, yeah what a rocker this one is. And This uh, was right from a great sequencing. Satellites into yeah, this. Yeah, awesome. And it, it actually doesn't sound much... It sounds very similar to Little Wonder. Instead of the, the steam... Don't you let my... He's doing that voice again. Well, that, but also just, like, the riff. But only it's... Yeah. This I, yeah. When I wasn't of, as familiar with this album, I would get the songs, like... Those mixed up. Not, like, maybe not, like, mixed up, but, like... You know, like, it was hard to, to like, remember... Yeah, I guess mixed up. I mean, you just... 
you, 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 it sounded like you heard a lot of similar stuff maybe. And you were like, Oh, what, what song was that on that one? Or was that, was that part of that song on this song? It, it took me a while to differentiate yeah. the, the, the tracks on this album. The, those two in particular. So this is when we talked about, uh, having possible him looking back at his, you know, his career, um, or maybe comparing himself to new, maybe not comparing himself, but addressing the new wave of, uh, of British acts out there. Um, cause they were dominating culture again for the first time. Well, Oasis was huge, right? Brit pop was Brit all pop the was the, Yeah. And, um, you know, he's my, how the time flies, you know, it, it's like he's walking through his old digs. It's another existentialism thing too, you know, time's flying, one in another person's hands or another pair of hands. I think he says at one point. A pair of pants at one point. Too. Yeah, he's yeah. just having fun at that point. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he's. Uh, it's funny how time flies as you get older. Um, they always say the whole kilometers per hour, miles per hour thing. When you're 20, you're going at 20 miles per hour. When you're 50, like Bowie was, you're going at 50 miles per hour. Well, and I heard this a while ago, and it really gave me perspective, especially having kids. When you're when you're three years old, a year is a third of your life. When you're 34 years old, oh, yeah. a year is a 34th of your life. Basic math. Yeah. So it's, it's like when you, it's quite simple when you really put it that way it's like you know like there's this there's this graphic novel that just came out amulet number nine and like it's the kids at the school i work at well they used to love this this uh this series and it took like eight or no no it was no it took five years for this sequel or number nine to come out it's the final one and like everyone was so excited about it five years ago but now they don't care anymore because <laughs> it's taken too long and some of them have literally been waiting half their lives for this. Like the kids that were in kindergarten are now in grade five and it's like, they don't, they don't even remember it. And it's like, you guys like this book's here. Like, haven't you been waiting for it? And they're like, what's this? Like we're into something else now. And I mean, that could be kind of to tie it into this song that could be kind of like Bowie. Like we're not into you anymore. We're into Oasis now. Right? Like we don't want to hear the next Bowie album. We want to hear the next, well, actually, Okay, like I'm talking about the kids, not us. We obviously wanted to hear the next Bowie album. Yeah. Now, um, imagine if this was Bowie's debut album. A 50-year-old guy comes out with orange bleached hair and an eye patch singing about, the, like, you know, stinky weatherman and stuff. Like, can you imagine <laughs> if this was, like, it's funny. It definitely can't exist in that. Now, capacity. isn't it interesting, though, like, but the art is the same. Yeah. So it's our perception of the artist yeah. that makes it what it is. So it's like we have all these preconceived notions about what the art is going to be based on like, oh, well, he was Ziggy Stardust, so we'll give this a chance. But like, you know, if people would have given the legendary Stardust cowboy a chance, who kind of was what I was just yeah. making fun of, you know, like maybe there's something there, but it just, it well, can't exist. And that's why he was always trying to pick up from those types of influences too, right? It was... There's some. There could be something there. He's always into the outsider artists, or at least not. Yeah, and think about how many times he probably checked something out and went like, "Well, no, this wasn't it." But you have to dig in those deep places, and you'll probably find some really interesting art. Because like what, like Bowie's big breakthrough would have been, like what made him famous? The Ziggy album, I guess, right? Like that's a space oddity. Well, no, that made him a one-hit wonder. Really, he wasn't. But that, but that like, caught like his commercial that, break up to that point. I mean, like, yeah, that's, a, that's like a folk rock song, though. I mean, like that's a lot more palatable to your point than I. 
a yeah. song like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Garson's piano solo is incredible on this. We talked about how it's kind of battling Reeves's riff, which doesn't back off during the solo. You'd expect mm-hmm. that boom, boom, boom to, to go away, but it doesn't. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's still there. And it just, having that kind of throwing you off while you're listening to his solo makes his solo that much in, more interesting. Um, and it's every bit as, as batshit crazy as Aladdin Sane is. It, it, I, I think I like it more. I think this is my favorite Garson solo. What was he? Uh, what were the instructions Bowie gave him again? It's like the the big story. Oh, listen to song. Igor Stravinsky. Hey, I, yeah. do you know anything or, about Stravinsky? Because I was trying to figure really. out what he was going for with that. But then I was like researching Stravinsky, and I realized, well, I can't just like read up for an um, hour and right. figure it all out. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of would have to be familiar with him. But yeah, he told him to play like Stravinsky, and it had like another weird, like Stravinsky doing something. I, I can't remember what the right the story was, but. Yeah, he had to go down to Tower Records to go and pick up the CD, because he didn't really know either, right? Garson, oh, I gotta go and buy the CD, I guess. I think he said that when we talked to him. He went, like, uh, remember back when those existed, record stores? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is probably a good time to talk about it, too. It's, Tibet has it as well, but something I love about Reeves' playing is he's really good at, now, not stacking overdrive in the sense of, like, one overdrive pedal into another or into a cranked amp or whatever, but having different gainy guitars like two different tracks playing different things like different pieces for example the chorus of this song during the don't you let my letter bring you down there's an over there's a so there's the guitar with like one level of gain playing and it's it, it kind of is like the blanket of the the chord structure of the of the chorus and then there's another guitar playing another part with different, you know, and it's like, it's just, it's so much gain and it's just stacking this dense wall of sound of guitar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk about that on the Tibet one. Maybe I'll just do that now. Like, for example, the Seven Years in Tibet um, chorus as well. There's the do 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 right? But there's also like the do do do, and then it stops, which is even higher gain. It's there's even more distortion. It's clipping. It's even more compressed, and like, I remember like trying to play that for the first time. I was like, okay, I'm gonna turn on every single one of. I'm gonna crank my amp and turn on every single pedal and see if. And it's like, no, I gotta loop it. I gotta play it with a looper. And like do this one, and then add more gain, and do it again, and it's it, it's so much fun to to kind of figure out what he's doing, and like oh, there's another track here, and there's basically like they're kind of playing in in harmony, but against each other. I don't know. It's just it, it just creates in search of the lost chord types. Well, I mean, it's, well, I guess it's more of a rhythmic thing. Too. It's a rhythmic thing, yeah, exactly, and it, and it creates this like you know the Phil Spector wall of sound. It's it's the Reeves Gabrell's wall of distortion, and it's just oh, yeah. there's pieces that are just being played in harmony with one another, and it just it, it makes the chorus so full. Yeah. Don't you let my letter bring you... D- it's just, it feels like you're on a magic carpet ride of fuzz, you know? It's it's great. And that's an interesting lyric, too, that you decide, like, don't you... Because, like, this song's kind of pessimistic, right? Like, the the verses are uh, talking about time slipping through your hands and kind of dealing, I guess, maybe with your inevitable death or whatever. But then you're, the chorus is 
don't let that get you down, though. Right, yeah. Almost kind of like, once again, just, all right, you're alive, stop trying to search for this, stop trying to hold on to you, stop trying to go on all these fool's errands, stop trying to maybe win the rat race or whatever, it's like almost trying to steer you away from yeah. a, a false, or, or a, a fool's errand, for the lack of a better term. And also, too, this is the one, we teased that we would talk about this in the intro, the, the drum Speaking of layering, the drum yeah, layering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what this was, because Bowie's big thing, they did the sample on Little Wonder, they took the sample from Amen Brother for Little Wonder, but I, I think that might be the only like sample that wasn't their own for this record. Okay. Bowie was really like, we do our own sampling. So the, the drums were, uh, this would be Zach Alford for this track, he recorded like, Something like, I think I read it was like four to eight bars they recorded of him playing drums at 120 beats per minute. And then they sped it up, right, to 160 beats per minute. And then they sampled the loop of the 160 beats per minute. And then they added live drums at 160 beats per minute to keep up with the sample over top of it. And apparently, this is the, thank God they're doing this in the digital age, because you wouldn't be able to do this on analog... Apparently it took days to edit and that like the beats had to be matched. Right. Into the, okay. Because like yeah. you know Alfred's a great drummer. He probably had a great sense of time. Like all perf- like a drummer working with David Bowie. He's well. He's a great drummer. Period. Yeah. But like yeah, drumming over hundred and sixty beats per minute and yeah. getting each beat right synced up to the sample is literally impossible. Like, you would yeah. have to be a machine to do it. So, you know, this is not a slight to Zach, Zach Alford. He's not a machine. Nobody can really do that. So they had to, apparently it took them days. Like, I think Platty did it. Mark Platty, the engineer, right, that we mentioned. He it, he said it took him, like, like, three to four days or something to match each and every single beat to the sample beat. Like, that's just, there's a lot of you know, meticulous effort that went into these layers and like what you're saying with the guitar with the rhythm like that is the beauty of this being bowie entering the digital age yeah now now they're experimenting in that world which they weren't doing before yeah it was the, one of the songs was created where it was like okay like we're gonna go to lunch now you can get this fixed or you can do, and like they were done before they even got out the door to go for lunch it's like the possibilities of how quickly something can be done or how yeah, it might take a few days, but something that you thought couldn't be done can now be done. It's yeah. it's really neat. And yeah, luckily he took the plunge. And yeah, if you were to just do the live drums over top of the sample and not edit it, like it would be such a mess. It would right. sound yeah. horrible, right? It would just like you'd hear like the little oh that was a little off, right? Ooh, that was a little off. I mean, even when I'm doing my own recording, I'll do the drums first and I'll put something over top of it and you can like oh fuck I didn't hit that at the well it's because it's the drums like you know you, you double track guitar off f- for a purpose because it's an over it's a layer it's yeah. not the, it's not driving the bus right so like yeah it's gonna throw you off more the, the kick yeah. drum and the snare hit in particular like those are off even by a little bit it's right. gonna sound stupid right yeah alright let's get into um well, my favorite song on the album is Seven Years in Tibet. I think Bowie said it was a contender for his favorite song anyway. Okay, yeah. Well, it's it's, it's just great. Um, so, oh, where do we start? Um, I, I like this song for a, a multitude of reasons. Um, I, I, I love the... I love the song so it sounds great. So that's that's one of the reasons. But also just the, the meaning behind it is... Uh, I... I it, 
it, it means something. You know, it, it meant something to him. Bowie, you know, he 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 didn't like he, he had songs like Crack City where he was trying to make a political statement. Right, they were a lot the, more ham-handed than this. This, was this one's a bit more serious. A yeah. little bit more near and dear to him too because he was going to be a monk. Well, yeah, he said like you know he was very, he was drawn to Buddhism at a early a young age and you know like in, in true Buddhist fashion, uh, he was told you do what's you, this isn't your you find your path and and that that's the beauty of 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 buddhism is you know there's no one way it's it's finding your own way and you don't doesn't take buddhism to to live a life like that um but yeah it's so the song seven years in tibet of course we're we're not in any i, I i'm not going to talk about the uh the genocide that went on i'm i'm not a scholar in that in that field but there, there's some, you know, there's ethnic cleansing, and you could basically call it a genocide. Like what happened, the 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 uprising in the late fifties, where China just basically, you know, well there were, I don't know, I've 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 actually read possibly over a million people have been killed. Um, well, I think too, when I was reading O'Leary's book, he said something along the lines of like the chances of China giving Tibet back to the people would yeah. be the same as. America giving Florida back to the Seminoles. Oh, right. It's yeah, like, you know, exactly. Is, it, yeah. It's a problem. That, that, and I'm like you, and that that's basically my understanding of it. Right. I haven't read into that. You know, I'm more well-read on, like, the more mainstream, like, the, you know, World War II, Nazi, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah. I'm not as familiar myself. But Bowie was. So the 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 title, Seven Years in Tibet, uh, there was actually a movie made about kind of about it too was was taken from Heinrich Herrer who was an Austrian mountaineer he was a POW that kind of wandered around Tibet during this time uh I think a World War II POW that spent seven years in Tibet and it maybe ended in the I guess yeah in the early 50s he would have left Tibet but a, a great quote from that text that I got from one of the books maybe was uh was uh from from his from Heinrich Herrer's book, Seven Years in Tibet, it said, In Tibet, one is not hunted from morning till night by the calls of civilization. Here, one has time to occupy oneself with religion and to call one's soul one's own. Now, as I've mentioned many times, I'm not religious, but I definitely feel that hunting of that Western society has. I, I want to spend every waking moment with my family. I, I don't want to leave my kids. I don't want to take them to daycare. I don't want to go to work, mm -hmm. but civilization hunts us and we can't, we don't have time to occupy ourselves with the things that really truly matter to us yeah. because we're too, you know, I've got a mortgage to pay off and I'm doing everything I can to pay that off early so I can retire early so that, you know, it's not buying stuff. It's putting my, when every day when I leave the house, I ask, I, it bothers me. So I, what am I doing this for? And it's like, well, it's not to, to buy shit. It's to put food on the table for my kids and put them through school. You might buy and, shit to, to try to distract you from. Right. But, but it's do. like, is this going to add value or is, or do I need, do I want time? You know, do I want to... Time is the final currency. Right, exactly. And that's something where Bowie said, uh, another quote I have written down. That's a good segue. Thanks for that. <laughs> Bowie said, uh, so much of what first appealed to me about Buddhism has stayed with me, the idea of transience and that there's nothing to hold on to pragmatically. In other words, yeah, like you can't hold on to anything. I, you know, it's, it's all, nothing matters. <laughs> like things don't matter. But your life does, you know, like the time matters and the people matter and you don't need 
it's just it's the rat race the rat race is so frustrating the american dream i mean live in canada but it's you know we can we fall under that umbrella of you know the the dream is to have the house on the hill with the car and the this and that it's like well no like i i i'm i'm so against that and it's i think it's becoming more and more it's being exposed for the farce that it really is i think it's starting to to catch on you know yeah uh, there's definitely like a a set like an, a a growing at least from what I see online, people kind of going like, "Why the fuck are we doing this?" Right? Yeah. Like, well, and like this this I, idea that you're lazy if you're spending time on yourself. It's like, yo, you got to work and you work that overtime and you do. It's like for what? For the man? You know, quote unquote. Like, no, like you know, you're, you're like. I mean, maybe you found a, or maybe people find a job where they're treated well and people care about you. But I mean, the for the vast majority of people in the North American workforce, you're employee number whatever, and you know it doesn't like you're you're exposed, you're disposable, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, you're just you're doing a job, and you know, like you gotta. It's just it's it's recognizing that. It's almost like because. I don't want to sound like we're coming off like too far. Like you, the society does need people to do things. Of, oh, of right? course. Like, yeah. Of but course. It's like, yeah. But like, that doesn't mean that the current setup is by default, the correct way of right. going about it. Whether that's the amount of hours you have to work, the amount of hours you have to be away from your family. And you have, you know, you've got to work till 55 or all these numbers that are maybe being fought now is like, are these maybe well, more like, arbitrary? Yeah. The nine to five Monday to Friday work week. Like who came up with that? It's like at some point someone said, this is how we're going to maximize production. And you know, because that's, what's important, not people's well being and their mental health and their work like home balance. It's like, well, no. especially when like, I think to, to bring it back to like, I'm afraid of Americans. Like it's like Bowie wrote that song when he said he saw, he was, somewhere overseas and he saw McDonald's being put up and he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Right, yeah. And it's like, you know, once they build a Starbucks or a McDonald's, it usually, Starbucks in particular, it's it's signaling like this is gentrification, right? Right, so it's it like, is, yeah. So now it's, okay, you're creating a job with this Starbucks. You probably just displaced hundreds of people from their homes though. Right, yeah. So, yeah, we need to work to, 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 have, to have society thriving, but then it's like, but... It's coming at the cost of displacing people, though, simultaneously. Well, hey, we're, something's not right here. Well, and it's like you spend seven years in Tibet living that lifestyle, and you'll learn there's a lot more to culture than corporation, mm-hmm. which is, I think, like, you know, God, we're really being hard in America right now. But, <laughs> I mean, American culture is corporation. It's when you think of... Ama- when you, when you, when you think of American culture, you think of, like, you think of McDonald's. You think of, yeah. like... Coca-Cola and Nestle, you know, or, or, or Disney. It's all, it's Google, all big Pepsi. It's Google, like it's, three people own you don't, everything. Yeah. It, it, yeah, exactly. Um, back to the song. Um, also shout out to David Bowie for making this album because of what we're talking about here. We haven't really talked about the music, but that is the point of this yeah, album. I think to maybe have these conversations. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, yeah, I, I believe in, in working and, and keeping society going along. I just think that, uh, I, I think that North America needs to do a, and, and I'm sure many places in the world, I know there are places that are doing four day work weeks and paying their employees the same that they did when they worked five day work weeks. I, I think that there's just, there needs to be some kind of a shift to give people their lives or to, to put that first, to put you mm-hmm. first and and your, your mental health and your physical well being first, you know, it's, well, 
we also we just accept it as yeah okay. we just oh that's the way it's got to be but this and if not you're lazy when <laughs> did this get established like i guess after world war ii I guess, and yeah. all those original workers are just retiring now. So we don't even know if this is, like, sustainable. I, I think all signs are pointing to it's not. No, right? it's not. It's not. So it's like, well, we're, we're doing it because it's what we're told. We don't really have much of a choice, and it's what we're told. But it's like, we haven't seen the end game. We haven't even seen the cycle go. It's more over. of the, it's, it's the American trap we're, more we're, than it's the American dream, We're really. seeing the cycle actually, this is like the first loop. Yeah. And it's like, it's. You can't afford to do anything. No, like, it's, like, it's crazy. Like, it's, yeah, so it's, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the song structure is is great. Uh, it just kind of lingers in, uh, you know, in in A for a while, <laughs> and then it goes it kind of falls down to G, and I think it's minor, and then uh, and then all of a sudden it just takes off for the chorus. Yeah, it's and a it's just powerful, oh, man, powerful does that, chorus. And I, I talked about how I love how Reeves built, builds that wall of distortion for it. And I love how he doesn't sing the first chorus. You got to wait for the... Right, yeah. It, it just away. does... It's like a an instrumental break, it's right? beautiful, yeah. 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 That, there's that song that I was writing where we couldn't figure out what to sing during the chorus. We got to just play the chords. Right, That's yeah, what we're going to yeah. do. Yeah, anyway. Um, and, and then maybe sing it. Uh, yeah, second time. It, right. Yeah. Um, just I, I love that. Also, it, then it changes. So it goes from so it, the chorus goes from from G up to uh, A sharp, but then after the I think the third time around, it starts at at A sharp okay. and then goes down to G. So it kind of starts at D and then it falls the the third time, which is cool. It just kind of throws you off a little bit. Yeah, his you mentioned his his singing on it. He's just belting it out. But but also in a soft way, it's deliver. It's there's a lot of emotion behind it. And you can tell you're getting a lot of energy out. But he's do he's delivering the lines. Or is it just that the music is so loud? Because it almost reminds the, me of like his the nothing ever on. goes away part. Yeah, that's it, the, that's the soft the, part. But the I praise, I praise yeah, for you is kind of like he's the, belting oh, that. I yeah. would love to find you somewhere. It's almost yeah. like kind of similar to that. To me, yeah. Is, oh, totally. This is my favorite. Like I know maybe I said, that. Satellites is my favorite song, but move on, like move on. Seven years into bed is like his best vocal on the, yeah. on the album for That's sure. Funny because move on is I, I feel the same way you do about satellites for that, and I yeah. feel kind of similar about this one in terms of where I would place it. I, I it's not a top ten Bowie song for me, but it's it's teetering. This I would think. be like it, yeah. it would probably be my second favorite song on the album. Yeah, it's oh, it's just so this great. will make the nineties playlist. This will make the nineties. <laughs> let you playlist. make the pick. So I can... <laughs> and I love the. I, I think it's Garson, the the kind of... It's more of like an organ, right? Oh, it's that he's great. On this song. Yeah. He's usually doing... You can, Garson, you can always tell it's Garson when it's like weird, jagged, jazzy, like classic piano sounding stuff. Yeah. It's like, but it doesn't sound classic because it's like, it's Garson's playing it. Yeah. But this is, doesn't have that classic piano sound. It's more of like a psychedelic rock organ thing. And it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's very good. Um, and you know, obviously too, this is like, nothing ever goes away. It's a song about Tibet. It's dealing with monks and Buddhism. It's the wheel of life is reappearing, right? Nothing ever goes away. I right. have to imagine is pertaining to the, the wheel of life, the wheel yeah. of life, which, and this album deals with existentialism and the wheel of life and all and spirituality and all of that. So this definitely is a, you know, maybe upon dissecting this album a little bit closer i realized it's way more of a cohesive album than i ever gave it credit yeah for. oh yeah it, it definitely is yeah 
Um, All these songs bleed into each other in some form or fashion, whether that's sonically or mostly thematically. He doesn't spare us the details, too, the gruesome details of what, you know, you've been been shot in the head. Well, did you read the story about that? Mm Mm-mm. Well, so the origin of that that first verse is apparently when they were recording this album and writing this album, somebody, I don't know if it was Reeves or what, they showed Bowie this article of a lady who was sitting in a car and thought she'd been shot in the head because there was a big bang Mm -hmm. from the backseat of her car and then a bunch of hot stuff on the, like, like gooey, uh, a gooey material on the back of her head. Well, apparently it was like she, bi- biscuits, like some kind oh. of biscuit something exploded. She blew her mind out in a car. And, and so somebody came biscuits. up to her and said, are you okay? And she said, I've been shot in the head and I'm holding my brains in. <laughs> and, but it was just, it was, just, biscuit. It was bis- biscuit dough oozing and it was hot apparently and sticky and probably maybe felt like brains. But, <laughs> that's so crazy. that's where that came from. Wow. It was an article. I thought, it, I thought it was a, you know, a soldier or something. So they, they showed him that in the studio and it was kind of like as a joke, like, oh, look at this crazy article, what the hell? And then he kind of reworks it into, so this are is... you okay? You've been right. shot in the head and I'm holding your brains, the old woman's. It was an old woman. It's the his day in the life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this... that, that's such, <laughs> this is like, I think the best part of the album from a lyrical standpoint is that a lot of the lyrics are nonsense, but they sound great. Like, are you, like, they took a nonsense story and turned it into are you okay? You've been shot it in the head. I'm holding your brains. Like that's a stark image. It's great. Holy yeah. Shit. Well, and I thought it was literal, like to the, <laughs> to the genocide. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, he, I think you recontextualize it into, into right. that thing. Um, and now ironically it went number one in China because there, there was a Mandarin version done, but it was a number one hit in the Hong Kong charts. I think he said the, after that, he was, the, he can't, he can't go back to China after that. Like it, he wasn't going to be allowed back. Right. Because, it got big, but it, I don't think it was the. They didn't like the certain people wouldn't want it to be big, but you know, a lot like like anything, right? Like, you yeah, know, of we course. hate America. We don't. We don't hate all the citizens, though. We know like, exactly fighting for them. Yeah. I think there, it was there are a lot of there are a lot of people that that get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, went to sixty one in the UK. Yeah, he's struggling in the singles charts these days. He yeah, doesn't. He interesting, doesn't. too, to like look back. At, okay, he's 50 now and he was told don't like he wanted to be a monk and he was basically told like no don't right this, this is kind of interesting this isn't your yeah 30 years later here's where he's at right um, well because it never nothing ever goes away <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it, yeah i mean it, silly boy blue it didn't go yeah, away right, yeah. all those other songs <laughs> karma man oh yeah great song and once again just to kind of illustrate one of our main points or one of the things we always talk about is that earlier period is greater than anyone gives it credit for. Oh, it's or so than most good. people yeah. anyway. I'm sure there's someone listening that's going, no, I do. And, yeah. you know, you're part of this thing with us where we're like, no, that early stuff's got a lot of meat on the boat. And sure, like I said, 30 years later, he's got all this, you know, all the more wiser and he's still talking about a lot of the same things, yeah. right? So there's a lot to, uh, to look at in, in the earlier period that gets glossed over frequently. Great side, um, even though it's not. It was the original side. Yeah. So when this came out on vinyl in '97, this is where you'd flip this side. Now, of course, we have the rec- the, the reproduction three sided in 2019 or something like that or 21. I think 2021. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah these ones were way more yeah. recently. That's right. That's right. Um, and we get instead of uh, this starts off side two, 
and then you get this dead man and telling yeah, it's lies. Three tracks, it's three and three, three. It's and three, then three, an and etched three. side for side four. Now, right. of course, for the purpose of this show, we'll stick to the original album. I think we'll pause gonna, here. Yeah. We're not going to do record one, six tracks, and then <laughs> talk about the etched side as if it, we could. as if it occupies three songs worth of. No, it's, it's just yeah. we could, yeah, but uh, but we won't. Uh, interesting side. I, I don't know if I'd have to look back and see if this... I could look at it, any album, I guess. But this one, very distinctively, for me, gets each song I like a little more than the last. As, so, they, as the album goes on. Yeah, so Little Wonder, I like the song. Looking for Satellites, I like it a little bit more. Battle for Britain, I like it a little bit more. And Seven Years in Tibet, I like it most. So right. that's kind of neat. I remember the first time I think noticed that I was just going, Holy shit, this album's great. <laughs> like it just keeps getting better and better. And then I didn't like, I, I, I think it was on a commute and then I stopped and it was like, I was walking around like, Hey, earthlings going in my top three of all time. Yeah. It's, it's, it just keeps getting better. And well, uh, side two is there's some great, it, it's good. Uh, it doesn't get better from here though. I don't think, <laughs> Now, there's my ad. Yeah. Here's my ad for please listen to our next episode. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that next I don't think it's a controversial week. take. I think most yeah. people would agree that, and it's it's very typical of albums. I mean, maybe not, it's not typical for it to get stronger from track one, two, three, four. Usually it would go like one and two or better than three and yeah. four, right? Nordic. But just in terms of being front-loaded, I mean, I think most people would agree that these are some of the heaviest hitters. Yeah. And there's maybe a couple on the other side. Yeah, there's... A, well, uh, there. Um, I don't I don't know if there's a bad song on it. No, yeah, yeah. So. Well, yeah, to tune in and find out, I guess. All right. Like I said, I hate trying to like, reduce our show to, like, <laughs> what are they going to say? Are they going to like it or not? I'm sure there is a somewhat of an element of that. Well, I think, I, I, I think people probably listen going... Like you better like the one I like because that's what I do when I, I listen. I to do stuff. do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. so I, I hope that they'll or they'll 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 talk nicely about the song that I like. But I also like I like listen. I also like when I the opposite. Yeah. When they when it's what, one yeah. that I'm not into or don't know very well, it's like oh, is this going to be something that I should get into? Yeah, so, like a different perspective. There may be one for sure on the second side. Ah, but it might be the one you're thinking if you're listening. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, uh, signing out. I'm Jesse. I'm John. Catch you later. <laughs>